Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, thank you because you are gracious and things don't depend on whether or not we come through or not. If so, we're in trouble. Thank you that you provide, not only for us, but it is your priority and intention to provide for everyone. Amen. Before I read the gospel lesson today, I want to show you a film clip from Les Miserables, the movie, obviously, not the musical, but the other one. Jean Valjean has just been released from prison and pledged to become a new man. The bishop takes him in as a guest in his house, but one night, Jean steals his silverware under the cover of night and in an encounter with the bishop knocks him unconscious. The next day, the police catch Jean and return him and the stolen goods to the bishop. Here is how the bishop reacts. And by the way, since it's St. Patrick's Day, I've carefully selected a clip with an Irish actor as Jean Valjean. Well, the bishop lied. I showed you this clip because it is like our text today. A generous gift of grace is offered. And it's offered to someone. And the gift is a departure from what we understand to be justice. And it's the sort of gift offered that can change lives. And now the gospel lesson. And as I read, I encourage you to uh, be aware of who you identify with in the story and maybe what questions you have. Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the 20th chapter. The words of Jesus. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into his vineyard. When he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. When he went out again about noon and about three o'clock, he did the same. And about five o'clock, he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, Why are you standing here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, Call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now when the first came, 
They thought they would receive more, but each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Christ. Who did you identify with? What questions do you have? This parable, in turn, asks all kinds of questions of us that challenge our assumptions. And so I'd like to make a few observations about that around questions of merit and deserving and grace. So do you think it was fair of the landowner to give the same wage to both parties? What do you think? Probably not. Maybe. This is not equal pay for equal work. Kind of a bedrock principle of justice, right? A reasonable person of faith would say that justice demands equal pay for equal work. But notice how selective our sense of injustice usually is in a number of ways. Even though the first workers received exactly what they agreed to, a livable wage, by the way. Their focus was not on those who also, their focus was on those who also received a livable wage, but should not have received that. Now, those workers chosen first were probably not offended by the injustice that others were passed over when they were picked to work in the morning, but it was a likely scenario. However, they sure cared about justice when the last were paid first. In other words, as long as I benefit, it's pretty easy to overlook injustices, isn't it? For instance, in our own time, it's pretty predictable that the ones who have the most favorable position in the marketplace do not cry out injustice about the systemic passing over of minorities and women in the workplace, for instance. But when actions are taken to correct that, like affirmative action, for instance, suddenly many will be roused by the sense of injustice of it all, namely those who might be affected adversely. We see injustice when it affects us personally. We tend not to see it when it affects others. Let's put that on the table. Perhaps Jesus is inviting us to consider a broader perspective here on justice. 
from God's point of view, where justice bleeds into love. A bit like the bishop in the clip. Let's look further at this whole question of our sense of deserve, which always fuels our indignation if somebody doesn't deserve something that they receive. Those who worked hard all day, after all, deserved more than those who were idle most of the day, right? I mean, the heat of the day and all? Well, let's take a look from another perspective. Tell me, which, which is harder to endure? Working hard or waiting to be chosen? Not knowing if you will be not knowing whether you and your family will be able to put food on the table. Is it possible that work is not such a big burden after all, but a gift? It is a basic human need to do work and meaningful work. Better to be working than idle. It says that the landowner repeatedly sought out people in the marketplace who were idle, which is a good metaphor for an untapped life. If a car is idling, it's not doing what it was intended for, right? Put it in gear. So, too, the landowner goes into the marketplace. Why? Because some people are idle. And all people deserve to work. Even the last ones chosen deserve that. This whole parable is framed by the phrase that Jesus has already spoken in Matthew. So the last will be first and the first last. Such is the reversal that Jesus suggests over and over again about the kingdom of heaven as a counterpoint to the kingdoms on earth. This kingdom of heaven that is future and present for the person of faith. This isn't just pie in the sky, by and by. It's now. But this parable is not just about human rights and economic privilege. This parable is about the landowner, who is God. It is about the heart, the actions, and the economy of God. And in this economy, God gives the free gift of life, of its sustenance, now and always. That is the economy of God. Now, the logic of an economic system like capitalism is that the first ones are paid more. There are haves and there are have-nots. The logic of the gospel is that everyone gets what they need because God loves them and that we, in turn, are invited to trust in God's abundance. This is not to say there's no room for capitalism in this world. It's just to suggest it has, shall we say, some real limitations from a broader perspective. But sometimes, rather than being grateful for what we have, we become envious or angry for what someone else gets who doesn't deserve it, and we wish it would be taken away. That would make it better, I guess. When Jesus told this parable, there were many who were listening who had been faithful Jews their whole lives. In Matthew's church in particular, it was primarily converted Jews who made up that congregation and then converted to this new Jesus church, right? 
So who do you think they were in this parable as Jesus told this? Well, Jesus was trying to afflict the comfortable a little bit, I think, with a parable like that. They were the first ones hired. These lifelong Jews were faced with now other populations that Jesus seemed to be letting into the fold. Gentiles, sinners, children, lepers, list goes on and on. They are the idle ones who are not deserving, the entitled men might say. Likewise, regular churchgoers will often feel like certain sinners out there are less deserving of the kingdom than we are. That those who don't come to church, for instance, might fall in that category. Those who haven't been paying their dues. I mean, deathbed conversions aren't really fair, are they? Because, hey, he got to do whatever he wanted all his life and then sort of waltz into the kingdom with all those faithful Christians who walked the walk their whole life. So, like many of Jesus' early listeners, we may hear this story from the front of the line and think it's wrong. And let's be clear, this kind of thinking is the very thinking that if we're not careful, easily mutates into other things, like nativism or white nationalism, a subject that is particularly alarming in the aftermath of the New Zealand massacre. I got here first, and I'm deserving. You are an idle interloper, or worse, an invader. You don't belong, so just stay away altogether. You don't deserve what I have. People who think they're at the front of the line always forget that they're not really at the front of the line. <laughs> I mean, white supremacists think they're the real Americans, the ones at the front of the line. But who are the real Americans? Duh. I believe it was the native Americans, huh? Barbara Brown Taylor asks a question of we Christians. What happens if we identify not with the first workers who view themselves at the front of, front of the line of worthiness? What if we identify with the idle workers who get hired at 5 o'clock? How would we hear this story then? Maybe a little less afflicting and a little more comforting, huh? More hopeful? But for that matter, in the broader scheme of things, on the worthiness meter, what makes us so sure we're at the front of the line? What if we're at the back of the line? Are we who are straight more deserving than our LGBTQ brothers and sisters? Well, it appears that a good number in the Methodist church thinks so. Lutheran church too. Are we more deserving than our neighbors uh, you know, out there, the ones who don't even, don't even think about coming here to worship. Are we more deserving than recent immigrants? In the economy of God, which is what this parable is about, we are not more deserving. Why should any of us think 
or more deserving than this person or that person. When we begrudge God's generosity to his children, we have forgotten where we are standing, maybe. Maybe we're farther back in the line than we think. Maybe we really need a more merciful God than we think we do. And when we come to that realization, let me ask you, would you rather have a God who fills empty hands or one who rewards by merit? One is dependent on God's heart, the other on you and me, often fighting and clawing with one another. I'm going to go with God's heart on this one. Jesus' parable of the vineyard proclaims to us in a rather jolting way in this parable that God is the giver of gifts that we don't necessarily deserve, really we don't, and maybe never even asked for. I close with a story that uh, uh, Will Willimon and others have told. Story of a northerner that was traveling in the south. One morning he stopped for breakfast in a small country uh, diner. He ordered coffee, eggs, sausage, toast, and juice. When his plate arrived, he noticed, in addition to the, you know, the stuff he ordered, there was a pile of gray, lumpy stuff in the corner of his plate. Confused, he called the waitress over to his table, inquired what that gray, lumpy stuff was. Why, sir, she responded, them's grits. But I didn't order them, he informed her. With a big smile, the waitress reassured him, sir, you don't order grits, they just come. Well... I'd like to end on this note. The good news of the kingdom of heaven is clear. We don't order God's lavish, radical, sometimes offensive grace, although we cry out for it. We don't order it. It just comes. Called out of our idleness, no matter where we are in line, and given the gift of work, of life, even eternal life. Thanks be to God. Amen.